anointing. And what we have to, so that you remember this. Now, we're going to have a word of prayer in just a minute. But we're going to have, at the end of the service, a little Easter egg hunt. But I want to make sure the boys and girls know that it's not about Easter eggs and chocolate bunnies and all that kind of stuff. It's really a, yeah, it is? Okay. It, it, it's really about, it's about an empty tomb. And so we're going to give you something to take home. It's a little bitty tomb, and it's no, there's no one inside because Jesus is alive, and he is risen forevermore. So let's pray, and then you go ahead and go to your class, and Mrs. Bays has those for you right over here. Our Father, we thank you for loving us so much. We thank you for giving us the opportunity of knowing your son, Jesus Christ, so that we could have everlasting life, so you could forgive us of all of our sins, and you could live with us forever. We could live with you forever. We ask your blessings upon these young men and young ladies, that you would watch over them and keep them safe. Thank you for their using their talents and their abilities for you. God bless them mightily, we pray, in Jesus' name. And all of the kids said, amen. amen. God bless you. Go ahead and go to your classes. Thank you so much for this morning. Oh, that's okay. If you want to go back there, sure. That's all right. Whatever you'd like to do. Huh? Oh, right over here. That, that lady with the white sweater. Follow her. I need to give better instructions. You know what I mean? So, Now, we have someone here who was baptized here 20 years ago when you were just like, what, five years old, four years old, something like that. Okay. We got someone visiting who 20 years ago was baptized here in this auditorium. We have someone else who I understand taught Sunday school here 28 years ago. Who was that? Where are you? Right back here. God bless you. Let's give them a hand, all right? God bless you. Good to see you. Thanks for being here. We love it when people come and visit us when they're on the island, when they don't live in the area anymore. Thank you so much for coming. You could have been any number of churches. In fact, you could have visited any number of churches on Sea Avenue, for crying out loud. And you're here, and we thank you for being here today, and we pray that God will bless you mightily for doing so. For as long as there's been Christianity, you may have noticed there have been debates about things, debates about doctrines. For example, there's a big debate about Calvinism and Arminianism. In the last couple of weeks, I've talked to two different people about Calvinism and Arminianism. And I got to tell you, uh, I, I know some brilliant minds have debated this forever and ever and ever. And then I look at my IQ next to theirs, and I think I'm probably not going to figure it out in this lifetime. And I'm thankful that God has it all figured out. But things like sovereignty, and I believe in it, and the free will to choose, and I believe in it, and predestination, I believe in it, and whosoever will, I believe in it. But I just don't know how to reconcile it all. There is a quote by a great preacher named Harry Ironsides, and he says he, about, he tells a story about a sinner coming to the gate of heaven, and as he rides in above the gate, it says, whosoever will may come. And as he accepts that gracious invitation and rides through the gates into heaven, he turns around and he sees written on the back of the sign under which he just rode, chosen in him before the foundation of the world. And so both things are true. I don't know how they work. Uh, I think it's Packer says they're like railroad tracks parallel to each other that don't quite join in this lifetime, but sometime and someday they will somehow. There's the debate about the old earth and new earth theory. Some people believe the, uh, some Christians believe the earth is uh, millions of years old. 
Uh, some Christians believe it's less than 10,000 years old, maybe more like six or 7,000 years old. Now, there's special creation versus theistic evolution. Special creation, taking literally the book of Genesis, which I do, and uh, man and woman being formed, man being formed out of the dust of the earth, the woman being formed from the side of man. Then there are those who believe in theistic evolution, that God created all the energy, time, and matter, and then allowed it to kind of uh, to come to the point where it is right now. There's the debate about how many angels can dance on the head of a pen. I happen to know the answer to that. If they're Baptists, they don't dance. So that's, <laughs> if they're not Baptists, who knows? So Easter is not exempt from, from differences of opinion. For example, you may have heard some of the debates about what day of the week actually was Christ crucified on. Some believe it was on Wednesday. Some believe it was on Thursday. Some believe, many believe it was on Friday, hence the Good Friday celebration. I know the Bible says on the third day, and I know that that the Jews reckoned time as today, tomorrow, and the next day, or the third day. And so uh, what's really important and what we must agree on is that, in fact, Jesus did rise from the dead, physically and literally, and this is the foundation of our faith today. Because if Jesus is still lying in a tomb somewhere, then we have no authority upon which to base an everlasting life. We have no reason to assume our sin debt was paid for and that we have been freed from that. In essentials, we ought to have unity. In non-essentials, we ought to have liberty. And in all things, charity. Augustine said that. Probably one of the first ones ever said that. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the great resurrection chapter, along with uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 that's often referenced. But 1 Corinthians 15 verse 16 says, For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. If there is no resurrection, then he's in a grave somewhere. And here's the consequence, Paul says, If Christ has not been raised, guess what? Your faith is futile. And you're still in your sins. So according to the inspired word of the Apostle Paul, moved by the Holy Spirit of God to write exactly what God wanted him to write, he says, if there is no resurrection from the dead, it's not enough that Christ healed people. It's not enough to, that he fed thousands. It's not enough that he walked this earth and for 33 years and was crucified. It's not enough if he didn't rise from the dead, our faith is futile, it's empty, it's vain, it's worth nothing, and you're still in your sins. And then those who have fallen asleep in Christ, Paul uses the euphemism, fallen asleep in Christ, because for a child of God there is no death, there's only falling asleep in Christ and awaking in his presence. And if those who have fallen asleep in Christ, if he's not raised, have perished. And if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people, and the King James says most miserable, but the New King James says we are of all people most to be pitied. If there is no resurrection of the dead, we don't need to be here this morning. We can go down to the beach, we can go to the mountains, we can go to the desert, we can, we can go to the malls, we can go do whatever. If there is no resurrection, then we're wasting our time here. The Greek word translated resurrection in the New Testament, 27 books of the New Testament, is found 104 times, 104 times in those 27 books. Now, it must be important. The fact of the resurrection separates Christianity from every other religion 
and every other philosophy that is popular in the world today. Moses died, Buddha died, Brahma died, Muhammad died, and they all stayed dead, but Jesus Christ rose again. And that makes Christianity unique among all of them. Now, the evidence of resurrection, and the first evidence we would cite would be the empty tomb. How many have been to Jerusalem? How many have been there? How many have gone to the garden tomb? How many can confirm that it's empty? How many know for sure that was the tomb he was buried in? Our guide had this famous saying when he'd come to places, he would say, this is the very spot that Jesus first broke the bread and the fishes. And and if it's not this spot, it's one very much like it. (laughs) This is the spot where he spoke the Sermon on the Mount. And if it's not exactly this spot, it's one very much like it. This is the tomb where Christ was laid and three days later he rose again. But if this is not the one, there's one very much like it. And the very much like it means it's empty or it was. I think in the Jerusalem Post a few days later, there was an ad for a slightly used tomb that was available because it was no longer needed. The empty tomb, Matthew 28, 6, he is not here. The angels said, he is not here for he is risen, which means to stand upright again from a reclining position. As he said, come and see the place where the Lord lay. And in Luke 24, they went in. They didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what they found? The, the funeral shroud. They found it there. You know what else they found? The head covering. And I had never heard this until this last week. And I don't know if it's so or not. I haven't had a chance to check it out. But, but you know the Bible talks about the head covering being folded. The shroud lying there. The head covering folded a napkin that used to cover the head. And and they said that is very significant in manners and customs of Bible lands because when a dinner guest was not yet through, they would fold their napkin and leave it there. And it meant they were coming back. But if they were through, they would just throw it down. It's kind of like at soup plantation, I'll be right back. You know, you put that there so somebody doesn't come in and take your spot. And so Jesus folded the head covering the napkin and placed it there and said, in effect, I'm coming back again. And thank God he is coming back again one of these days. And all of us who know Christ as our Lord and Savior will be taken up to heaven with him. The empty tomb is evidence of the resurrection. The testimony of the angels I read a moment ago in Luke 28 is a testimony. And then in Luke 24, verse 5, they were frightened and bowed their heads to the ground. The men said to them, why do you seek the living, the physically alive and in existence as opposed to the dead or the non-existence? Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. And then they said, Don't you remember? Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered in the hands of sinful man and be crucified and on the third day rise. Don't you remember? The angels gave testimony. The changed disciples are evidence of the resurrection. You tell me. You tell me if you were following Christ. Try to put yourself in their sandals, okay, 2,000 years ago. And your, your Messiah is crucified. The one you thought was going to deliver the whole nation is no longer alive as far as you know. He's in the tomb, and he's going to stay there as far as you know. 
and you're defeated and you're discouraged and you're afraid and maybe they're going to be coming after you now. What do you do? And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden these guys are completely changed and they go out and they revolutionize the, the Jerusalem. Half of the population of Jerusalem became Christians, it's reported within that first generation. Half of the population of Jews, confirmed Jews, became born again children of God. And the gospel has gone around the world changed disciples. They were not defeated, discouraged, depressed, uh, hopeless men. They were infused with a new zeal and zest for life because their Savior, who was dead and buried, had come back to life. Then there was the wounds in his hands in John 20, 27, when he came to Thomas. By the way, the first time he came to the disciples, Thomas wasn't there. And, they missed, and, and he missed seeing him. And he heard about it. And he didn't believe the disciples. And this time, Jesus came. And he said, Thomas, hey, doubting Thomas, put your fingers here and see my hands. And stick out your hand. Place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And he fell to the floor. And, and, and on the ground before, the Savior said, my Lord and my God. The wounds bore testimony to the fact he had raised from the dead. The 500 eyewitnesses, 1 Corinthians 15, 6 says, he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, more than 500 people in one assembly, most of whom, he said, are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. That was proof because those 500 people, they went everywhere saying what they had seen and bearing testimony to a risen Savior. The martyrdom of Stephen as he was being stoned to death, looked up and he saw the Lord Jesus Christ at the right hand of God the Father in heaven. The appearance to the Apostle Paul is another proof. On the road to Damascus, as he's knocked off of his, his, his charge, his, his, his steed, and there lying in the ground, he says, Who are you, Lord? And Jesus said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. The testimony of multiplied hundreds of millions of people through the years who put their faith in Christ. The, the observance of Sunday worship on the first day of the week. It, do you realize that, that in Israel they worshiped on the Sabbath, which is the seventh day of the week? On Saturday, that was their day of worship. In fact, Friday night, what we would call Friday night from sundown until Saturday night sundown, that was their holy day. That was their Sabbath. And something dramatically changed to where they began to worship on the first day of the week. And that's something that was dramatic that changed was Jesus Christ rising from the dead on the first day of the week. And then the Bible says many infallible proofs in Acts chapter 1 verse 3 presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And I'll say more about that in just a moment. But these are the evidences of resurrection. Oh, but the world has explanations. Have you heard some of the world's explanations? about Christ and, and about what really happened and there wasn't really a resurrection. There's the fraud theory, first of all. The fraud theory uh, postulates that these disciples decided to pull a hoax on the whole world and the disciples went to the tomb and, and robbed the grave and took Christ out of the grave and hid him somewhere and, and told everybody, guess what? He has risen from the dead. And one has to wonder what they did to the Roman, what they did to the Roman soldiers. 
because the Roman soldiers, when there's a Roman seal put upon that tomb, knew that if something happened, if something would have missed, their lives were on the line. You see, a Roman soldier, if they had a prisoner and the prisoner escaped, the soldier took the, that prisoner's penalty. If the prisoner's penalty was jail, that's what happened to the soldier. If the penalty was death, that's what happened to the soldier who let him escape. And the same Roman seal was on that tomb. And that meant those Roman soldiers there would have been put to death if they had let, allow, allowed this condemned uh, person, Jesus Christ, to get away. And so the idea of a fraud and the idea of these disciples being changed men and turning the world upside down with the gospel just doesn't click if they're just pulling a fast one on everybody. Toward the end, somebody would have cracked. Somebody would have told the truth. How about the swoon theory? Yeah, Jesus went through so much dehydration, beating, punishment, torture, all of that, that, that he passed out and his pulse was imperceptible. And, and they thought he was dead. So much so they didn't even break his legs because they thought he was dead. And they put him in a tomb. And when he got in the tomb, it was cool in there and it revived him. Never mind the spear that was thrust into his heart, okay? Never mind that. Never mind the fact that he could have died, as we talked about last week in Gethsemane. He could have died at the whipping post and the scourging, and he did die on crucifixion because the lance was thrust into uh, his heart, and forthwith came blood and water. The swoon theory just doesn't hold any water. Then there's a hallucination theory. They thought they saw <laughs> Now, I've known people who've had hallucinations. I've had hallucination one time, and it was through no chemical substance being involved. I was driving, and I was super tired. Have you ever had something like that happen? Super, super tired. I should have pulled over, and we were driving, trying to get to Texarkana for a holiday, and, and I, I was driving along, and we were about 100 miles from Texarkana, and... Uh, all of a sudden, I saw a Cadillac across all four lanes of the highway. I mean, all four. This was a big Cadillac. <laughs> this is back in the day, okay? And I slammed on my brakes, and my wife's like, what, 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 what? I said, we're getting a motel right now because <laughs> the car disappeared when I slammed on the brake. It was gone. So that's kind of a weird thing. But can you, everybody had hallucinations? 500 people at one time? 11 disciples at one time? All these people who saw him over 40 days, they all had the same hallucination? Doesn't make any sense. There's the ghost theory. They only saw his spirit. Okay, well, that raises all kinds of questions. Uh, I didn't know you could see spirits, but... Um, and, and, and it seems to me like the, the definition of resurrection is stand upright again. How does a spirit stand upright again from a lying position? That doesn't seem to make sense. I don't believe in the ghost theory. I don't believe in the myth theory. It never happened at all. They just made it up. And I thought of another one, and I already alluded to it. What happened, preacher, was they went to the wrong grave. You ever heard that one? Anybody ever heard that one? They went to the wrong tomb. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was so long ago. You know, it was like Friday or Thursday. I mean, yeah, they just forgot completely where he was buried. Do you believe that? Do you have a loved one that's buried? You ever go to the cemetery? Huh? And you ever say, oh, I forgot where, I forgot where it is. That doesn't happen. 
Not, not if it's someone you love, someone close to you. The true explanation is he rose from the dead like he said he would. In Acts 2.24, God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. The third thing here is the, the empirical proof of his resurrection. I've already talked about that a little bit, the empirical proof. Empirical means verifiable or provable by means of observation or experiment. And Jesus was had empirical proof. He, he was flesh and bones. Luke 24, 39, again, see my hands, my feet, that it's myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit doesn't have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And it was a glorified body. Philippians 3.21, he says, He will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables even him to subject all things to himself. It was an immortal body. It would never die again. Romans 6.9, we know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. And your loved ones who have passed away, who have fallen asleep in God's presence right now, death will never ever bother them again. They will never know the second death for sure. There, there was, it was a spiritual body too, not just a physical body, because in 1 Corinthians 15, 44, it's sown a natural body, it's raised a spiritual, and on the evening of the of that day, the first day of the week, John 20, 19 says, the doors were locked, the disciples were inside, they were fearful and afraid, they were defeated at this point, and, and for fear of the Jews, it says, and Jesus came and stood among them without opening the doors, without climbing through a window, he appeared before them, he came in a spiritual body that was also a glorified body, that was an immortal body, that was also flesh and bones, he did that because he is the risen son of God. The fourth proof of the resurrection is the exousia of his resurrection. Please pardon me. I had ease in all of those points, and I had to come up with something that, was, that stood for power. And, and, and I looked up that Greek word that's, that says power in the verse I'm about to quote to you, and it was the word exousia. So the exousia of his resurrection, John 10, 17, and 18. Therefore, does my father love me because I lay down, in other words, I place down my life, that I may take it up again, which means it's a self-prompted action. I'm gonna, I will take it up again. Self-prompted. No man takes my life from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power. There's exousia. I have exousia. I have power, which means authority and ability. Twofold power. Not just the dunamis, the ability, the strength to do something. I have the authority and the ability to lay it down and exousia again to take it up. I have the power to take it up again. Did you know that all three of the Trinity um, were involved in the resurrection? In Acts 2.23, Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men, but God raised him up, loosing the pains of death. And then the power of the Son was involved in, above the scripture I just read a few moments ago. And also in John 2, 19, where he said, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. They thought he was talking about the temple where they worshiped. They thought he was talking about the temple where the holy place was and the holy of holies and, and the holy furnishings. And they said, what, it took us four, over four decades to build it, and you're going to build it back up in three days? The Bible says he was talking about the temple 
of his body. You destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up again. So God the Father had part in the resurrection. God the Son had part in the resurrection. And God the Holy Spirit had power, part in the resurrection in 1 Peter 3.18 and in Romans 8.11. In Romans 8.11, but if the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken which means makes, uh, make alive again your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwells in you. And then the last point, the eventualities of the resurrection. What is the result of all of that? It proves the existence of God because only God can give life. When God created, God gave life to the animals. He gave life to the plants. He gave special life to human beings because he breathed in him and his breath caused man to become a living soul. It proves the deity of Christ. In Romans 1.4, he was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord. It means salvation is an accomplished fact because when Jesus said it is finished, he paid the price, John 19.30. And it guarantees that we're going to rise again one of these days, I don't know how many of you know, a few of you do, but my wife's brother passed away a week ago last Tuesday. Very uh, suddenly, he'd been ill for a long, long time. Uh, I've known him longer than I've known my wife. He was my roommate in college for three years of, of that experience. Um, and so we know that his body will remain here for a while, but he, we know that he is already with the Lord Jesus Christ. And one of these days, that body will be raised again, glorious and incorruptible. Never again will it know pain, sin, sickness, nor sorrow. And he'll be with the Lord forever and ever. And so will you, and so will your loved ones, if they have their faith and trust in him. And then, I already mentioned this, but the eventuality of the resurrection, and one of the exciting things, if that napkin story is true, that head napkin folded, lying there, I'm coming back, I will, I will come again, John 14, 3, if that's true. Uh, it just encourages me because the next thing on the prophetic calendar is the return of Jesus Christ for his own. It also gives us power that we can enjoy now. In Philippians 3, 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I might attain the resurrection from the dead. I'm looking forward to that resurrection. I, I, would, I would prefer, there's a verse in 1 Corinthians 15, I should have written it down, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. I, I heard of one church that had that sign painted over the nursery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. That's not what it's referring to. <laughs> there is a generation that will not have to die. Wouldn't it be exciting if we're that generation? Wouldn't it be wonderful if on Easter Sunday right now, if all of a sudden we heard the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ, would my brother-in-law would uh, go right up with us, and, and my mom and dad over at Glen Abbey would come, go right with us, and your loved ones who knew Christ, all of us just go up together, and poof, we'd be gone. We'd leave. Whoever's left here, you're in charge. You can preach. You can preach. You can sing. You can do whatever you want to do. <laughs> We're gone. We're out of here. The Lord's coming back one of these days. 
The resurrection is more powerful than a molecule or an atom of hydrogen or uranium. One of our guys got to see the museum in uh, Nagasaki, the museum of the dropping of the second atom bomb in Japan during World War II. Unleashed atoms have power to destroy, but the resurrection has power to give life. Resurrection is the Gibraltar of Christianity, and it's the Waterloo of atheism and idolatry. And because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we can say with Paul, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Do you know him? Do you know in the power of his resurrection? Do you know that whatever happens in this life, one of these days, you'll be resurrected, glorified, translated up into a, a wonderful place it's the very abode of God. If you don't know, today can be the day that you know that. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads out of respect for all those around you. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're here this morning and you have trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have put your faith in Him. And upon the authority of the Word of God, the promise of God, if you died today, you'd be in heaven tonight. If you know that, with every head bowed, every eye closed, would you slip your hand up as a testimony? Preacher, I know I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ as my Lord and my Savior. Thank you. Thank you. Some of you could not. And I want to ask you this. With every head bowed, every eye closed, not going to embarrass anybody, I promise you. If you're here this morning and you say, Preacher, I'm just not real sure that I really am ready. I'm not sure that I've trusted Christ. I'm not sure that I'm going to heaven when I pass away. If I can know that someday, I'd love to know that. And I would like for you to pray for me. I promise you again, I won't point you out, I won't embarrass you, but you just, with every head bowed, slip your hand up and say, pray for me. I'm not sure if I died, I'd go to heaven. I want you to pray for me. God bless you and you and you. Are there others? Are there others? Thank you. You can put your hands down. Anyone else? Preacher, pray for me. If there is a heaven, I would like to go there one day. I, don't, I, I, I need to trust Christ one day. God bless you. God bless you. Today can be that day. Today, right where you're seated or standing, can be that day. And all you have to do is put your faith in the one who gave himself for you, enduring the rejection, the beating, the torture, dying on the cross, being buried in that borrowed tomb, and thank God, rising again on the third day. And you could pray to the Lord right where you're seated or standing. You could say something like this, Dear God, I know I'm a sinner. I know that I have offended you and disobeyed you so many times. And I know I'm not worthy. And I believe that Jesus Christ was your son. I know he died because the history books tell us that along with the Bible. And I believe that he rose from the dead. Your word tells us that. And this morning, on this Easter Sunday, right now, I want to ask you to be my Savior, to be my God, to come into my life, to be the pilot of everything. Not the co-pilot, the pilot, to be the one in charge. 
forgive me of my sins, and be my Savior. With every head still bowed for another moment, if you just prayed that prayer as earnestly, as sincerely as you know how, would you lift your hand up? Hold it up for just a moment. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Yes. Yes, thank you. Our Father, I'm so grateful, so thankful for what Christ did for me. Lord, I'm so grateful and thankful what you did for every person in this building, every person in this city, every person in this country, this world, who's ever lived, you died for them. And I pray that you would bless these who by faith have put their trust in you today. And God, may this be the beginning of a wonderful new life for them, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with us, please, as we stand together? Ryan, are you here? There's, oh, he's outside taking care of something. Yeah. Rachel, you're here for ladies, and, and uh, I'm here. Uh, if we can pray with you about something, if you want to come and receive Christ as your Savior, if you'd like to be baptized at some time in the future, you say, I've trusted Christ, but I never have been baptized since I got saved, or you'd like to see about joining the church, whatever it is that we can help you with, I'd invite you to come ahead as the praise team leads us in the choir. Jamie, would you come and help out, please, the men right on this side over here as they sing. Come on right now. People will gladly let you by. I know it's crowded, but come on down. the Lord to be your personal Savior. At the end of the service, if you didn't already fill out a connection card, please take that out and, and check there, becoming a follower of Christ. Put your name and phone number. I'd love to talk to you if you get a chance. Mm -hmm. We'd love to help you in any way that you can to know the Lord, to grow in the Lord, to serve Him. This is just a beginning. It's not an end. So please fill those mm -hmm. out. And in the very back, next to the double doors on the left-hand side, that's where we put connection cards and uh, if, if members here have tithes and offerings, that's where we put that. We don't pass the offering plate. So I want to remind you about that. And thank you, visitors, so much for being here today. Tuesday, we're having a celebration service for my brother-in-law, Pat's brother. And that'll be at um, Ocean View Church in the South Bay uh, on Palm Avenue. That'll be at 4 p.m., unusual time. He was a teacher at one time in our schools there. 
and so some of the teachers want to be able to attend. So to be at Ocean View at uh, 4 p.m. on Tuesday. Saturday, men's um, breakfast, stepping up breakfast, 8 o'clock. Uh, and we have a series that uh, is uh, outstanding series, stepping up, being courageous men God called us to be. And if you would like to help cook and set up, be here please at 7 o'clock and we'll take care of that. Next Sunday, we have special guests here. How many of you, well, you probably couldn't tell me. You'd have to kill me if you have. I was going to ask how many of you guys have been in Pakistan, uh, and that would be a silly question to ask a bunch of you, but uh, I have a guy, I have a guy, young man, who is a pastor in Pakistan who was saved at my other church when he was a, a little child in our schools. His testimony is, I, he said, I was a Mexican kid led to the Lord by a black lady. She was from where? I can't remember where. Belize. Belize. One of our teachers uh, led by a black lady in a, in a church where the pastor was a white guy. said, I, I came to know Christ. You know what he did as a young man? He led his uh, parents to the Lord. He led his sister and his brothers to Christ. Uh, he surrendered his life. He went to Bible, to Bible college first on the West Coast, then finished up on the East Coast, married a young lady from the Bible College on the East Coast, uh, who coincidentally is from a church where I was a youth pastor uh, in Pueblo, Colorado, and they are in the middle of, uh, 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 what is the city? I, 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 just, I just lost it. Uh, in Pakistan, they're about 15 minutes from downtown. What's the big... Islamabad, Islamabad maybe? Karachi. Karachi, Karachi Yeah. Uh, just about 15 minutes from downtown, they have a church of about 300, and they have schools, and they have, they're going to set up feeding centers, and it's an incredible uh, opportunity. When he said, I'm going to go to Pakistan, I said, Randall, are you sure? Great man of faith that I am. Are you sure? <laughs> it's kind of scary. He says, Pastor, I look Arab. My wife looks Russian. There are lots of Arab and Russians married. He said, no problem. He's over there preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ today in Pakistan. So they're going to be here next week and going to tell you about what they're doing. You will be blessed, especially some of you people who were there who can't tell me you were there. You'd have to kill me type people. You, would, you will enjoy to hear the testimony of what God 